Shamai, hello and welcome to In The Spotlight, a podcast from the lifestyle team at Wales Online where we sit down with some of the biggest and best names in showbiz. We'll be finding out where our guests got their big break and also some of the struggles they faced along the way. I'm your host, Sam Cook, and this week's special guest is the Central Club's Cullen Mice. Hello, Cullen Mice. Hello, what's going on, Sam? Not too bad. I've really been a big fan of the Central Club podcast since it came out. So um, it's really nice to finally get the chance to chat to you. I feel like you're doing wonders for Wales. Uh, Well, to hear that from you, uh, from someone who's obviously been in media for, you know, most of your career, I suppose. Uh, that that's that's massive. Like that really is um, uh, good to hear, and I hope that that is the case. I hope we are doing big things for Wales. Mm-hmm. Was it always the intention to target Wales when you were you were creating it? You very much put in Wales on the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people say that, um, and of course, like Wales. You know, I'm very very patriotic of where I'm from and. Uh, you know, that passion's always been there. I'm a Cardiff boy. Um, I've always wanted to put Wales on the map somehow, some way. I used to be, before my my my, my, my life of addiction, I, I was a, an MC and I always wanted to, like, represent Cardiff in the fullest of ways. And, you know, I'm a sports fan as well. wanted Cardiff to do well and, and, and Wales in rugby. So I've always wanted to represent that and, and shout that out and show you know the talent we've got here. So when I started this podcast, a big part was that, like, you know. Um, but I, I, I knew I had to be kind of, um, I was quite wary about not being, you know, Wales as the calf. So I tried to, like, when I first started, I would have a mix of some local people to, you know, uh, put, you know, put people's name on a pedestal, but also try and get people from out of Wales. I what I want to do is is kind of create a buzz in Wales with people who come here with with big names. You know, like yeah, you know, like we haven't had him yet, but you know, Tom Hardy filming in Cardiff for a couple of months is was a buzz in Cardiff at the time, and I want to be able to do that and at the same time put us on the map. You know, could you have ever imagined that the Central Club would do as well? As it has done, I don't want to sound big-headed, like I don't, because I like I, I, it does surprise me. Like I, I have to be fair. Um, some of the coverage we've got has been unbelievable, and I, you know, I'm truly grateful for that. But there was something inside me just knew, like I knew that if I got what I want to do, like I had it in my head exactly how I wanted it to look, and you know what I wanted to do, and I knew if I if I got that right. It, it would definitely uh, kind of grow the way it has. And, 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 and I've just followed that, that formula and it's worked. So, you know, of course I can, I can kind of pat myself on the back a bit, like, and say, yeah, wow, I'm, I, this is amazing. And I'm quite surprised, but at the same time, like, I, I like, I want to go further, like, you know, and I, I think it's got that potential. We just got to keep on because you know what it's like, Sam, Everyone wants to make a podcast. You know, I, I was thinking about doing a podcast and it, it, it's, it's a lot of work in Islam, as you know, like it's, it's not as easy as what people people think. And, and, and as long as you keep the you, you keep that drive and determination and also you're doing it for the right reasons, 
you're doing it because you actually enjoy it. You actually enjoy speaking to people, which I'm sure you do as well, and hearing people's stories. Then you'll never look at the numbers. And I think I did that early on. Like, you know, it was always like, I, I remember being like a month into the podcast and I was like, trying to like compare my numbers with people like uh, uh, True Geordie and James English, these kind of other podcasters in the UK that are doing amazing and have been doing it for years. So, you know, I got kind of disheartened by that, but I just remembered why I'm doing this and it's got nothing to do with numbers. Of course, it's nice to like measure up with, with these kind of podcasts to see where you are. But yeah, like, you know, I, I really think, um, you know, that, it, that, that, that it's got potential to go further and, yeah, like I think I did in the back of my mind think that yeah, it could it we, it has got them legs. Mm. Have you always been a fan of podcasts themselves? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I speak yeah. personally. I I haven't been a fan of podcasts. I like I haven't listened to that many. Um, but I just think it's a fantastic medium that more and more people are tuning into and and using. But what about yourself? Like I said, podcasts to me were kind of discovered whilst I was, you know, uh, in the clouds with my heroin addiction. Uh, so mainstream TV, mainstream media was not really something I was into at the time. I was more of a person who would, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, click on YouTube, high as a kite, and go watching random videos. So I discovered podcasts that way. But my pretense of podcasts when I first heard of them, I thought podcasts wasn't even filmed. I just thought they were an audio version that you would stick on Spotify or, or something like that, you know? So I got into podcasts via uh, my first ever podcast that I ever I ever discovered, as random as it sounds, was uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's uh, Skull and Bones podcast. I, I was a wrestling fan as a kid, and... I don't know, it must have showed up on my algorithm and I started watching it. I was really, it, it was fascinating to me. Like, you know, even the word podcast, it really sounded like new and fresh. From then, I started looking if any other people were doing it. Of course, Joe Rogan was doing stuff pretty early on. But I, I, I started getting into like conspiracy podcasts and like just playing them, you know, in the middle of the night, really, and just letting them play through until I, I kind of fell asleep. So I always knew about podcasts, really liked them. And I thought, wow, I would love to have something similar to this in my region. I think at the time it was before lockdown happened and it was before I discovered any of these other UK podcasts. But it seems like lockdown was really when people thought, oh, I've got a bit of time on my hands here. I'm going to do something like this. Mm. And I think the really interesting thing about your podcast is that the quality has been there since the beginning. Like you see with a lot of podcasts that they... Um, you you certainly see where they started out and what they've learned along the way. But your podcast started immediately with that high standard and, and good quality. Yeah, so, you know, I, I've always been someone who used to, like, laugh at the, the football player, you know, with all the gear, no idea type of thing. You know, he's he can't kick a football, but he's got the best boots on, you know. I used to laugh at those people. I, I, I consciously thought, am I that when I first started this podcast? But I, I say it uh, quite a bit, like, you know, I've always cut corners in, in, in everything I've done in my life. I've either cheated or, you know, skipped the queue when I thought, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it properly. And I was very aware of that. And I wanted to deliver, a, you know, I wanted... I wanted to watch a podcast the way I would enjoy watching it. And sometimes you see some podcasts and they're grainy or, you know, there's just like that, that this 
it's just not there, like, you know, when I thought if we can start in a strong point, like we can do this. And I've always thought as well with, with when it comes to the many side, like when at the time I was um renting the equipment and I was paying camera people to do it. Um but many was never an option, like a bother for me, because I always looked at it like, well, it, this would only go on heroin anyway. Like, so, you know, a couple of thousand pounds on this is better than heroin. And I'd always have that process. So, yeah, you know, um, I was working hard and, and, and using every bit of penny I had. Um, but like the studio as well, we were based in Cathedral Road. It was in my dad's office. Um, and in this office space, I used to basically... I used to hide from the police when I was on the run. You know, I was being recalled to prison and I used to basically sleep in this room and I used to sit in it, like, and, you know, thinking, like, am I, you know, I, if I wanted to change my ways, I could have, like, an office here and do stuff with. So it was really, like, it was so, uh, you know, sh- strange how it all came about, but it had such a special feeling. Um, but with that studio, obviously, it was very office spacey. There was only limited stuff we could do with it. And I really think we done it well. Like, you know, we had the table, the signs, the quality microphones. I really think we made it into something that people would think, wow, they're not messing about here. You know? Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I believe that if you're going to, if, if you're dead set on something, then then you should make sure that you're, you're going the full nine yards, you know? Yeah. And the thing that strikes me about you, Cullen, is that you are remarkably open and honest about that dark time in your life. You you don't you don't hide away from it anymore. You you tackle it head on and you yeah. try and almost encourage other people to do that. Like, is that important to you? I suppose within Cardiff uh, and some areas around South Wales, I was pretty well known anyway as a drug addict. So it. it, it it didn't make a difference. And I did think, do I want to do this on a podcast? Because potentially like everyone's going to know what I am now. Everyone's going to know about that past, but that's what it was. It was thinking, hang on a minute. Everyone knows me as this anyway. So I might as well be open and honest about it and try and tackle that head on. It is massive to me. Like, you know, I am an open book and there is not many things that like people, obviously we've all got secrets, um, but there's not, you know, there, there's there's not many things that I that I haven't been open about, and yeah, I just I it's part of my recovery, it's part of the way I, I look at things, you know, I hold accountability to everything I've done, um, and I knew, like, you know, you see in the you see in the media and reality TV stars who, who kind of, you know, they come on shows and then their ex toxic partner will write an article about them. I didn't want that backlash off anyone, you know, so I thought I might as well you know, throw dirt at myself before anyone else does. And uh, if anything ever comes up, because I have done some bad things in my life, and if, if anything ever did come up or anyone wanted to say something, I've, I've already, I've already, you know, kind of established or addressed that anyway. So it's massive for me. And I, I feel like me doing this has inspired a lot of other people to do it as well. I get people come up to me all the time and say that, like, how I, I love how honest you are. I feel like now I'm more comfortable to open up about things. So... You know, it's definitely helped people in the process as well. Well, I mean, podcasts themselves are about talking. Have you yourself found almost solace and therapy in being able to open up about those things with other people? Yeah, this 
you know, I try, I try my best to um, focus on the guest. I try not to talk about me. Um, you know, there's, there's been a couple of podcasts where, you know, if something's relatable, I will then bounce my kind of experience with that. Or, you know, that's what we do in conversations and interviews anyway. But I try not to focus on me as much. And it's all about the guest. But even that is just amazing. Like, you know, it it, it is really the power of talking is so hard to kind of explain. Uh, I'm sure you know that you probably come out of some, you know, conversations feeling like you're on cloud nine. And that's how my podcast started. So what happened was um, someone randomly messaged me. I was like four months into my recovery and someone messaged me who had this charity asking me to do a video um, of like some of my low points in my life. And I just went all out on it. I didn't like consciously do it. I was just being myself. And within like Cardiff, like a lot of people saw this video. It had thousands of views. I think it got like 300, 400 shares. And people were like, oh my God, like this is. And I, and I felt really good doing that. Like it felt like, you know, it, the therapy, like you said, therapy. It felt like I was in a session of therapy when, when, when I come off it. And then the messages I was getting of people saying, I needed to hear this, like, thank you. That's what got me on the road to thinking of doing a podcast. I thought, wow. You know, at the time, I didn't really know what I was doing with my life. And I thought, if I can talk about my experiences and it helps me and helps someone else, I've got to do this. And and from that moment, I knew podcasting was my calling. And and yeah, it, it has. Some of the conversations, some of the people I've met, you know, it's... It's been really, really helpful for my recovery as well. Hmm. Would you say that doing the Central Club podcasts has opened up doors for you in terms of your career? So I work as well as a, I'm a drug worker, and sometimes they can, you know, they get they can intertwine, and that can. I always thought that's a good thing because I thought if I can promote what drug services are doing, that's amazing, but. I didn't ever saw there could be negatives to that as well, because, of course, services are very PC. And if you've got someone like Tommy Robinson or Calvin Robinson, the Reverend Calvin Robinson, I actually had a bit of backlash because of having him on and someone complained to my work because of some of his views, which, I, you know, I totally get. Um, so, you know, you've got to be careful with that. But I have had opportunities through the podcast. Yes, uh, pl- plenty. And some of them have come through my job. Uh, you know, where they know that I've got a podcast and they can help kind of use that as leverage. Uh, like last week, I just released this week, sorry, um, I hosted a, a a massive conference in the Uni South Wales, which was important about cocaine and alcohol, mixing links to suicide. That was all to do with a podcast. You know, like the Lad Bible, I've done a Lad Bible interview. Uh, they they reached out to me through the central club and they just messaged me this morning to do another one, a roundtable one. So it's definitely helped me in so many ways. Uh, a lot of public speaking I do is through, through through the central club. I actually turned down the Channel 4 TV show about a month and a half ago through the central club. Um, so, um, yeah, people are obviously finding me through that and wanting me to do other things, you know, which is amazing. But I also, like I said, it's all about remembering why you're doing this. And I didn't look, I'd be lying to you if I if I said that I didn't want to do the central club to get my name out there. But it's not because I don't want to be like famous. It's not I'm chasing fame or nothing. 
I just want to be one of those people who people can look at and say, look, recovery is possible. This guy has been to prison over 10 times. He has been at the depths of addiction. He's overdosed. He, he's relapsed. He's committed all these ridiculous crimes, but he's actually now, you know, he's running a successful podcast. He's working. He's, he's settled down. That's what I'm trying to do, like, you know, and uh, I definitely think, yeah, the Central Club has helped with those opportunities. What's really interesting is the comparison that you've said there between getting your name out there because of this podcast and your name already being out there because people knew you had a drug problem. Do you ever look back and think what you would say to yourself during that dark time, knowing what you know now? I just think, come on, Harry, stop taking the drugs. There's so much for you to achieve. <laughs> Something like that, you know. It's funny, I remember my, my mum, uh, I I think it was like the first Wales Online article I'd done. And like my mum was like, no, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. I said, mum, I'm already on Google for, <laughs> you know, wanted this man in connection of this. And it's like, I want to show people the good now, you know. And um yeah, it is mad. It is crazy to think like where I was, and you know, it, I'm always that close. I'm always like some. This is the thing. Some people think like you know, oh my gosh, he's. She, she, I'm only that far away from going back to that. It's very a fine line, you know, and that's something I got to remind myself about as well. So yeah, you know, it's it's it, it is. I'm trying to get the central club. Like this is what I'm saying. Like I never called my podcast. The Cullen May Show because it ain't about me. It's it's about a community of people, um, and it's about hopefully showing people that it's never too late. I look at the Central Club. It's just the stigma campaign in my eyes. It's it's there to eradicate the stigma of of of, of someone. You know whether that is Tommy Robinson, whether that is um, Mark Craigford, whether that is myself or any other drug addict. I think. We've got to give people that fair crack at the whip. And I understand some media outlets are not allowed to, but I feel like I can and I'm going to use that. And you've spoken at length about it in the past, but sort of briefly talk us through the moment that you knew you had a problem with drugs. So um, it was very early on. I knew I had a problem with drugs when I started using them on my own. Uh, basically, but how it all came to fruition. I used drugs to mask the way I was feeling and the things I was doing, i.e. my mental health. And I I, I hate using mental health as a scapegoat, but it was a big part of it. You know, it was. There was something in my head that I couldn't come at peace with unless I used a substance. And once I abused uh, weed, cannabis, to, to the point where it made me worse, I had to find another drug. And I start, I, I, you know, I, I discovered other drugs, obviously. And, um, you know, that's, that's where heroin came into play. I'll never forget the day, you know, for a year, I kind of dabbled with the drug where I don't, you know, use it, you know, once a week. Then it became two days a week. Then it became three days. And I remember when, when I got that addiction, I was I was turning nineteen, and uh, I woke up in the morning with this real hot sweat. 
You know, you know when when you're cold, you're meant to be warm. Mm, when you're warm, mm-hmm. you're cold. All that type of stuff. I had a, it was like a really bad fever. I started spewing up. I started uh, going to the toilet with diarrhea, and I I remember sitting there thinking, "Wow, this is my life. I I am going to now live the rest of my life as a heroin addict, and I'll probably die a junkie." That's what I thought, and um, I thought that. All the way up until I I got clean, you know, and the the the, re- the reason I got clean was because I almost died in hospital. So it, all my life I've thought that I would never get anywhere else, and I think there's a lot of people like me out there who are feeling the same way. And sometimes you just need to be shaked. Sometimes some people can't make that decision consciously themselves. Some people can't voluntarily go into a drug service and say i need to change my ways that don't work sometimes sometimes it has to get snatched away from you whether that's through yourself almost passing away that's what happened to me and uh, there's a lot of people out there who are stuck in addiction right now who just need something to snap them out and yeah i put my addiction into three things it's not just the it wasn't just mental health it was also the people I hung around with, and uh, yeah, just 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 bad timing, really. Um, so yeah, people use mental health too much in this day and age, I think. And sometimes you just need to, to look. No one else, no one else is going to do it for you. No one else is going to change. You have to do it yourself. My mother and father tried everything for me. You know, they um, they took me abroad. Uh, they took me to have private. Uh, treatments you know they were always there for me um you know when i was in prison they would always send me money in they would come and visit me so they were always there so everything they tried to support me still didn't work you've got to do it yourself um 100 and sometimes you've got to stop whining about about certain things and just crack on with it and like i said if i knew where i was now if i could speak to that person yeah, five years, six years ago. Yeah, I don't think I would have been like if 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 I was a a twenty seventeen version of myself, and he walked in the room and I tried to tell him what I'm doing right now, I wouldn't believe him. I just wouldn't. I probably wouldn't change because I wouldn't believe that I have achieved this. That's how like fantastic it is for me. So yeah, like people just need to have a bit more hope in life, and and it's quite cliche as well, but it's never too late to change. What have uh, your friends and family said now your career has gone in this route and you're using you're using the drugs past for a different means? You're using it to inspire rather than to self-medicate. I think that's the crazy thing about it. Like I, now I look what I do now is I look at people say, oh, would you change it? Like, what would you do differently? And to be honest, like if I could go back again, I probably even though I know like what I've done and I've kind of identified the problems that got me to addiction, I probably still walk down that road because some people go to uni to become doctors. Some people go to uni to become a teacher. I feel that I went to the university of the streets and addiction to be where I am right now and helping other people. I genuinely feel that this is my calling and when you find the calling, there's no stopping someone because I was lost. I was lost. And I 
I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And a big part of my addiction was not knowing and thinking, well, what's the point in trying to change my life if I don't know what I'm changing for? I feel like this is a calling for me. And yeah, I feel like I'm it's, it's as bizarre as it sounds. Like I know there's people out there who would be like, look at him. What? So we can rob people and take drugs for the, you know, for 10 years of his life. And then he can just do, do what he's doing now and he can work. And, and I get that. I, I totally get that. And I'm not saying that's acceptable. You know, when I do a lot of talks uh, with, with youngsters, I have to switch it up from what I do with the adults because I don't want to condone that you can mess around for 10 years and then come and turn your life around. I don't want to do that. I'm just trying to paint the picture that it is possible. That's all. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so my mum and dad, beyond proud. Um, I'm not stressing them out as much. Uh, my brother, you know, he, he just, he can't believe it because he grew up with his friends and, you know, uh, kind of looking at him like your brother's a heroin addict, the junkie, whatever. So he's over the moon, couldn't be more proud. And and friends as well, yeah. To be honest with you, I like growing up, I had loads of friends, yeah. And I still have friends I speak to. But I'm, I'm happy just like doing what I'm doing. Like I don't, you don't have to have, like some people who come out of addiction, they've got no one. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. You don't have to have loads of friends. You only need one or two people that you trust and confide in. You don't have to have loads of friends to, to, to be okay in life. And of course, it helps with the support. But as long as I've got my family and one or two important people in my life, then I'm okay. But the thing is, as well, you touched on the support there. I mean, you're so stuck. And I imagine you're so stuck in your own mind at that point. That support wouldn't be... You know, it's great to have it, but you you wouldn't you, you almost wouldn't have listened anyway. Yeah, and it and it it can, it can be used as an excuse, like oh mm. look, well I'm, I I can stop at any time because I got the support, and it probably sometimes don't give you that urge to change. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it, uh, all the support you could have in your life. It would not matter if you're not going to pack your ass in that seat. Mm. And I think what isn't covered enough is how much work actually goes into training your mind to get out of that addictive cycle and and to you you really have to put in a lot of hard work to not take drugs. Yeah, yeah. Well it's 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 every day of your life, isn't it? Like it's something that you do every day. Um and it's a way of life. So you're not just stopping drugs, are you? You you you're changing everything you do. You wrote you know you know like um if you're if you're living somewhere and you move house, you probably autopilot yourself still to drive to that old house once or twice because you just that's what you do. So it's it's changing everything, and it's not just changing the way you do things, but it's also changing the people you hang around with, the people you bother with, these type of things. It can be it's it's so hard. I'm not going to lie to you, Sam, but I'm actually doing the reverse now. Um, and I, I, I'm not afraid to say this. I, I'm not ashamed of it or nothing. So I started drugs 18, 19. So for 10 years, 11 years, I was really chaotic using heroin and crack. Methadone, other things as well, you know. Um, I've got off drugs. I, I, I think genuinely now, I've been clean coming up to three years now. I think I'm like 21 in my head still. Like, I'm still quite childish because 
my my brain just didn't grow and I didn't have those life experiences that some of my other friends did at my age. Um, so I'm working at that now. I'm trying to change my brain to think that way now. I've, you know, I've unwired all that way of thinking with addiction. And now I'm trying to rewire myself to be a mature person. And, you know, I am playing catcher. I think I'm doing okay in the sense of I'm working. I'm I'm helping people. I'm I'm getting people out there and getting their name out there in the public. But there's still certain things in my head that are very, very just undeveloped that I'm really mm. trying to add. And it scares me and it and it upsets me at times because I think, am I gonna get there? Like I'm you know, I, so you know, it's just interesting you said that rewiring because I am trying to think of I don't wanna you know, there's still things that I think about that are quite childish or in in the way an addict would think so it's really hard playing catcher yeah and one thing kind of i've always wondered is that after you've done all that training to get your head back on the straight and narrow to some extent and then you're surrounded by drugs in a sense that you're talking about it all day and you're going on about it all day and you're trying to stop people from using it. Is the temptation that, like you, you said before, it's a very slippery slope to get back to that, but is the temptation I, uh, ever still there? I thought, well, I don't know what temptation, but the thoughts are definitely. Hmm. I thought about taking heroin this morning. Yeah. You know, and, I, and, and, and that can fluctuate. It can, you know, some days I won't think about it. Some days I will. Mm. It's just how you. It's, it's, it is how you've trained your mind to to, to, to divert your, your thinking to that, isn't it? And also just not being able to physically put yourself in that position. But I think the biggest thing that 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 works for me is weighing up what I've achieved. Sometimes you know, if you you might get clean, I've done like the most I've done before is like two three weeks. But you do that week and you think, wow, I'm a week clean. Then it's two weeks. Then it's three weeks. Then it's three weeks and that that course you went on. Then it's five weeks and a new friend you've met. And then you find the girlfriend. And then you're in line for this job. And then you set up this podcast. And then there's all these things that you look around and you think, is it really worth me now? Like, I think a lot of the people who are stuck in addiction, they might, it's very short turnarounds with the, they might be clean for a couple of days and they think, this, my life. You've got to get through those first couple of months for you to actually see what you can achieve. And, and, and that's what works for me now. I look around at what I've achieved in this time. Um, the people I may let down if I went back on it, myself included. Uh, and that's how I kind of, you know, not think about or not want to take drugs anymore. Yeah. It's like bargaining. It's like your brain bargaining with what's what's good for you and what's not good for you. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the the, the the angel and the demon on the show. Yeah, isn't it? Cullen, where would you like to see your career go next? You've done the podcast. You've featured on Lad Bible. You've done all these amazing things to inspire people to, you know, change their way of thinking about drugs. But where where would you like to see things go next for you? I think sky is the limit with it, really. Like, I like to be honest. Um, I would love to be recognised in the world of of recovery, but also in, when it crosses over with the media as well. Like, I want to be someone who's really an inspiration for people, not just in addiction. Hmm. You know, it, you know, 
it could be anything that you're suffering, you know, something that you either lose or you grieve over. And I want to be someone who you think, wow, like he done it. Like you can do it. I want to be recognized there. I would love the podcast, the Central Club podcast to be more than, more than a podcast, more like a network uh where we kind of offer other things as well uh various type kind of channels on there as well being one of the top podcasts in the world 100 percent. but i think something that i would like to do or challenge is maybe see if i could get in media somehow or you know speak to you know kind of use my skills in in that in that realm of media and on tv or something i would i think i would the more I think about it, the more I think it's doable. Like I speak to people all the time who say you should do it, you should do it, you should look what you can do. And I never really thought about it. But the more I do this, the more I love it, the more I learn. Mm. Why not? Well, you've got the perfect kind of starting point. I mean, you've got this podcast that is smashing yeah. it. I mean, you know, speaking from a media point of view, you look at that and you go, that's a safe pair of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, thank you. good to hear. And also the other thing I think we, we haven't touched on, the fact that the podcast itself doesn't just talk about addiction and other stuff. Like I listened to the one you did about the UFO and I was like, my God, like it's, it's mental. Have you got a favourite episode? Oh, no, no, you, no, you're Is now we've got to go through the quickfire ones. Obviously we now literally don't yeah. have time there. <laughs> you're going too well. Um, I think... Um... There's been a few out there that I've really, really enjoyed. Like people, some that a lot of people sleep on, like the Archbishop of Canterbury I done the other day was really, really good. Um, I think it's so hard to say. Honest to God, it's really hard. There's been so many. I think it, it probably um James Lee. People have don't really know about this, but it's James Lee. He he's from Panath. He was arrested in Saudi. He worked there as a um a surgery, um, you know, a prosthetic surgeon, you know, mm-hmm. with arms and legs and uh, amputees in the, in the war. And he got arrested for car bombings that he didn't do when he was tortured there for three years in Riyadh. Uh, all just to get kind of blindfolded and took back to Cardiff without even being given his innocence. And it's really sad. And But there's a lot, a lot of hope in there as well, just with the way he lives his life now. So that was one of the top ones. But there's some great ones there. You know, Craig Bellamy, to me, was unbelievable. Um, Ron Dean, uh, who, who done 10 years in Kenya uh, for drug smuggling, and now she runs Gwen Services. There's some wild ones on there. But yeah, you're right. What I didn't want to do with this podcast was niche down. Mm. I I didn't want to niche down. I didn't want to be known as the football podcast or the the addiction podcast. I I I think as long as they all got the same kind of feel to them in the sense where they've been through something and now they have turned it around or they are here. You know, look at Mark Drakeford during lockdown. Everybody hated him. Well, I think they still do. <laughs> But people have this opinion of Mark Drakeford, and I wanted to show a, re- a you know the real Mark Drakeford. Greg Bellamy was renowned as a crazy football player. I wanted to see the real him, and it's the same as that stigma campaign trying to show people the real person. I tried doing it with Tommy Robinson, and I think I got somewhere with it. You know, there's only so much you can work with with some of these guests, though. You know, but yeah, that's what it's all about. I think it's about you know the beauty of the central club is you don't know who's on next. 
but it's a risk as well because obviously you might find someone who, who discovers your channel because you've got a rugby player on and, and the next week there's there's a ballet dancer on so they think oh do you know what i'm not gonna watch her yeah so you risk it as well, you know but what i hope uh, what i'm what i'm aiming is is that we do slowly build a following who trust my process in the recruitment of the guests and you know end up liking me look at joe rogan Half of the guests on Joe Rogan, I don't even know their names, but I know it's going to be a good podcast because it's Joe Rogan. Exactly. And, and that's what I'm trying. And it, and it is a long process. But like I said, if you've got the patience, if you're doing it because you love it, it, it it's bound to pay off, you know? Well, Cullen, we now have less than a minute to go. Uh, so all I will say is, thank you very much for chatting and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you very much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Stay central. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with all the latest TV and showbiz news by subscribing to our newsletter over at walesonline.co.uk. 